I'll walk around until I can find a mic. Good evening. Today's reading is from Philippians 4, 2 through 9. And if you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along, this Bible's back on the center table. And if you need a Bible at home, please feel free to take one home as a gift from us to you. Philippians 4, 2 through 9. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Sintish to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, and since they have contended in my, at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The Lord be, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Bruce. Before the service, uh, we say a prayer, the worship team and myself, uh, in my office. This is the time to focus on the Lord and lift up any concerns we have. Uh, <laughs> and this week, to tell me that I looked tired and stressed. I was like, oh, good. <laughs> I, and I identified it during the service. The Holy Spirit revealed uh, my source of stress, and it's this tie that I'm just, just not used to it. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to preach your word, to talk about things like stress and anxiety. And uh, I'm sure we all come from you know, busy, stressful weeks or days or months. And so I pray that just give us an opportunity here to experience your peace, uh, to experience your peace uh, because we're in your presence, uh, the presence of Christ, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and the presence of brothers and sisters who love you and who love us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, speaking of a, a place that could experience stress at times, uh, anxiety, I worked on a ranch for a summer. It was just one summer. I'm not really much of an outdoorsy person or like an animal person, but I do know so I, that that cows can experience stress. Cattle can experience anxiety. And so I got to work there. And I did things like uh, brand some cows. That was pretty cool. Well, I, I actually didn't do the branding. I held the cow down. And we're talking like little cows. <laughs> and, and they were still throwing me around because they're really strong. Uh, so I did that. I helped run a cow through like a chute. And then I got to tag one of their ears. That was kind of interesting. But all of these things brought both the cow and myself stress. 
uh, as we figured out how to do it. And you need to watch uh, stress in cattle because if one cow gets overly stressed, it can become sick. And then that sickness can spread to the whole herd. And we see this other places in nature as well, don't we? We see it in uh, fish or uh, sheep. Any sort of animal uh, can become stressed, and that stress can make it sick, and then that sickness can spread to the entire herd or flock or school. And we see this in our lives too, right? If you have a a child uh, who gets anxious, starts to lose sleep, the immune system goes down, the child gets sick, uh, and then spreads that sickness to his or her friends and his or her friend's parents and then the teachers and pretty much everyone is sick. Now, I actually think this can happen in a church too where someone, someone, one or two of us, we become stressed, we become anxious, and we can spread that anxiety, that lack of peace to others through conflict, through a general sense of unrest and how our interactions take place with others. And Paul writes about this in today's passage, about being anxious, about being stressed, and he gives us some solutions. And this was especially important to this church because it's a young church. The church at Philippi in ancient Macedonia, so that's modern-day Greece, It's only about 10 years old in this letter, the book of Philippians. And what do we know about kids? They they don't have all their immune systems working quite yet. And so they're more susceptible to sickness. And so Paul writes about the connection between individual anxiety and corporate anxiety, individual peace and corporate peace. And I believe we all want to experience less stress in our lives, right? I certainly do want to experience less anxiety, and I hope I hope that none of us want to like spread our anxiety to others. And so let's hear what Paul has to say today about anxiety and stress. So in Philippians 4, verses 2 through 9, Paul gives us what I think are seven connections between my peace and our peace. Now, Paul doesn't go through the passage and just like lay out connection one, connection two, connection three. This, this is what I have gotten from studying the passage this week, and I want to share it uh, with you. And so we're going to jump into these seven connections, which are also uh, principle-based. So number one, two people in conflict can drag a whole church into conflict. Now, as we've been going through this letter, we've seen Paul hinting at and saying that there is some conflict going on. Sometimes it's just implied. Sometimes it's very clear. This highlights a couple different ways. In chapter 1, verse 27, he says, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. That means some people are not conducting themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one. Perhaps some people are not living as one, not living unified. In humility, values others above yourselves. Perhaps some are putting themselves first. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Well, there you go. Everyone looks out for their own interests. Chapter 2. So Paul is addressing some of these themes in today's passage. He's been writing to the church body through the, the book of Philippians. He keeps saying, you all, you all. But in our passage, in verse 2 of chapter 4, he really begins to address some individuals. So it's like he starts at a big kind of picture and then perhaps narrows down to one of its root causes. 
So perhaps these two people, Iodia and Syntyche, who are in conflict, perhaps that conflict has spread to the entire flock, to the entire herd. Or maybe Paul is addressing it earlier in the process so it won't spread. Either way. So the lesson for us is simple in our passage today. He says, I plead with Yodi and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Paul is calling us to be of the same mind in the Lord, to be unified, to not give in to the temptation to be in conflict with others. So when I am upset, when I am feeling anxious, when I'm stressed, and that can happen in a church, when those things happen to me and I'm tempted to take it out on others, well, I should address that. I should confess that to the Lord. That could be one of the things I confess before communion or after communion if it's now coming to mind. And then if I need to address it with the person, like if I keep remembering it even though I've dealt with it with the Lord, then I should go and I should talk to them. It's, uh, if, we, if we don't do this, if we don't deal with our sources of stress and what our kind of sickness of sin Well, what happens to a wound that's not clean, that's not dressed, that's left unbandaged? Well, it can get infected, it can get dirt in it, it can get bad things in it, and that infection can spread. And then what do you do eventually? Eventually, you have to amputate. You have to amputate the place that had the infection. So in our context, that's things like a church split. (laughs) Or, you know, perhaps a family or two gets hurt and leaves the church. That's an amputation. We don't want that. In fact, maybe that's your story. Maybe you come from an amputation because of a ministry or a church that didn't address the wounds. I pray to God that we become a church, a culture that, although it's painful, like it's always, like I cut my my fingers this week and I poured some alcohol, the antiseptic stuff on it, and it stung, Right? But uh, it's removing some of the dirt. It's removing some of the bacteria. Pray that we're always a place that's willing to deal with conflict. So number one is two people in conflict. The first connection is two people in conflict can drag a whole church into conflict. But there is a cure, and Paul tells us about it in verse 3. He says, one peacemaking disciple can create a culture of peace. So there's so much hope. There's so much good news in the Bible. He says in the very next verse, Yes, and I ask my true companion, help these women, since they have contended by my side in the cause of the gospel. So Paul is calling for this true companion. We don't know exactly who this is, but apparently this person is gifted with some sort of ability to mediate, come between two parties that are in conflict and help them have peace, to help them reconcile. He's a peacemaker and Paul is calling on him to help Iodia and Syntyche be of the same mind in Christ. Now, some other versions of the Bible, we're reading out of the NIV, we do that as a church. Some other versions of the Bible say yoke fellow. So, my, my yoke fellow. What does a yoke do? It helps two cattle pull in the same direction, or two ox, oxen. See, the two women, Yodia and Syntyche, we don't know what they're arguing about, but one is pulling this way, and the other is pulling that way, two opposite directions, and they can't work together. They can't get anything done. And so the, the, the true companion is supposed to help them pull in the same direction, have the same goals, not be at odds with each other. 
You guys remember Thierry Marone? He preached here in August. Well, he talked uh, to me, shared some, uh, just some stories about church planting in France. And he shared that early on in the church plant uh, in, in France, uh, he had their, they had their team, they were ready to go, but then team members began to have some disagreements. See, half the team wanted to focus on evangelism. We've got to evangelize France. There's not many Christians there. We've got to share the message of Jesus. Important things. The other half of the crew wanted to focus on discipleship. Well, we've got to make disciples. We've got to teach them. That's the way to grow the church. And they were just arguing. And so Thierry, one day, he did a team-building exercise. He invited them all to the lake, and he rented a rowboat. And he said, like a, like a long, like, team rowboat. He said, okay, everyone get in the rowboat. I just want you to go. All right, just go. And so they all began to row at their own pace, however fast or however slow they wanted to row. How, how far do you think they went? <laughs> Not very far. They kind of went around in circles, and they just kind of gave up. Thierry said to them, all right, now listen to my voice. We're going to row together, and we're going to try to get someplace. And so they began to row together, and they got someplace. And ever since that, like, the team gelled, and the team began to work together to be on the same page. Thierry is an example of a modern-day yoke fellow. And I know that we have yoke fellows in this church. We have people that can help us work together. And if you are in a conflict and you need some help, come to me and I would love to identify some people that can help you through it. So first, the principle is two people in conflict can drag a whole church into conflict. And number two, one peacemaking disciple can create a culture of peace. How can you tell if you're a yoke fellow? Actually, one of the ways that's not really a fun way but it's being around conflict. This true companion, he's a part of this church. He is, somehow is around this conflict. So maybe you have experienced personal anxiety and stress or conflict in your life or you've watched it unfold in your family. Well, maybe, maybe God is calling you to help others address it. Notice Paul doesn't say, like, hide, hide the conflict under the carpet. <laughs> Just ignore it. He says, address it. Clean the wound so that we can heal the right way. Number two, one peacemaking disciple can create a culture of peace. How about number three? Anxiety in me can produce anxiety in us. Now, Paul switches from addressing uh, the two women in verses two through three, and he begins to address the whole church. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, these commands are in the plural. So Paul is saying to the whole church. He's not just saying to Yodia and Syntyche, rejoice. He's saying to the whole church. You all should rejoice. And he says it twice. Rejoice. And then he gives a command. Well, we, it's called an imperative in the Greek. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Actually, the command is verse 6. It starts in verse 6, and this is probably the most popular one. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Do not be anxious, any of you, all of you, about anything. That is one big command. 
How can a whole church be anxious? Well, if a whole church is made up of a whole bunch of anxious people. How can a whole church be joyful if the whole church is made up of a whole bunch of joyful people? This command is one that we need to take to heart. And to help the church address its anxiety problem, just a few verses later, we're going to look at this again next week, but I want to give you a preview. In chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, he kind of gives an example using himself. He says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have lots of situations for anxiety. <laughs> I have learned the secret of being content in, in, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. <laughs> it's not like I can win a boxing match because God gives me strength. <laughs> it's I can, I can persevere in the midst of anxiety. I can persevere in the midst of stress. God can give me contentment somehow in that situation. And notice, Paul's, Paul is not saying here, I can, I can be content and peaceful if God changes my circumstances. Now, sometimes God does that. Paul writes to Yodi and Syntyche because he wants to change the actual circumstances in the church. Sometimes God does that. But sometimes he doesn't. And we can still experience contentment and peace no matter what. Now, on the flip side of this point, so anxiety in me can produce anxiety in us, I want to say it in a positive way. Peace in me can help cultivate and produce peace in us. Joy in me can help produce joy in us. See, together, we can create a culture that rejoices. When each of us takes the time we need to cultivate peace in our lives, to lift up our anxieties before the Lord, that benefits the whole church. When each of us is actually willing to do difficult things, sometimes things that are humbling, like get Christian counseling and take the hours and the sessions needed to work through your problems, if you're not willing to do that for yourself, do it for your family, your church family. Because that, that's not just a benefit to you, that's a benefit to us. And I certainly know that if I bring a lot of anxiety up here to the pulpit, I can, I can share that with all of you. And so I want to work on addressing those issues in my life as well. And I know that every one of the elders and every one of the deacons, they want to work on their issues too. All of us in this church can shape the culture. This is not a big church, about 70 people. That means we each have a voice that can be heard. We each have anxiety that can be given. (laughs) But we also have peace that can be spread. We have joy that can overflow. So number three is peace in me produces peace in us. So you want this peace? You want to be anxiety-free? How can you get it? Well, Paul gives us a command. Second half of verse 6, no matter your situation, pray and you will know peace. Verse 6 says, uh, in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Don't be anxious, but pray. Pray. There's a promise here. Paul's solution to anxiety is like this semi, <laughs> semi-practical answer that it, it, it works. That's prayer. 
Prayer is talking to God. Talk to God about your anxiety. And these are commands. Present your request. That's a command. He says, do it. Pray it. <laughs> Present your requests before God. And then he says, like, the word for prayer or synonyms for prayer, so like in other ways of saying prayer, he says it four times. That's a lot. Paul is trying to emphasize in the text here the importance of prayer. Now, I want to go through these four words real quick. Uh, this uh, really comes, I'm adapting it, but Philippians for you from Stephen Lawson. So he gives the first one, prayer. It's a general term for intercession to God. Intercession means asking God to intervene. God, I'm overwhelmed with anxiety. I'm overwhelmed with conflict. Would you intervene? Would you give me peace? Would you bring a peacemaker into my life? Would you help me to find that person or find a mediator? Would you come and would you be my helper? Petition. Asking God for something we lack. Now, according to Lawson, this is a word that really implies something is missing, something is lacking in the original Greek. So, God, I am lacking enough food. I am lacking enough money. We know in this world I am lacking enough time. Time, food, money, maybe relationships. What can all of those lacks do? Create something in us. It creates anxiety. We can ask for God, to give us enough food, money, and time. How about Thanksgiving? There's always something to be grateful for. Requests. Present your requests to God. That means we can ask God for something specific. I love to pray in specifics because then, like, God can answer in a very specific way. Monica and I were at the, uh, the, the car repair shop, um, was it Friday morning, and she needed to get... To, to leave pretty quickly, and we were waiting for the guy to come open the garage. And so I prayed, Lord, would you, would the, the car guy, would he show up, would the mechanic show up in the next 180 seconds? And guess what? He didn't show up. <laughs> but that's an example of just seeing, will God answer my prayer in a specific way? He did show up at one point, not in my timeline. That's okay. But you can pray for specific time that you might need or specific mortgage payments or specific co-payments for your sickness. You can, uh, pay for, you can pray for healing specifics from, for like Lyme disease or maybe you need a new job. You can pray for specifics. Dream big. God likes to hear. In prayer, Paul promises us that we can receive peace as we talk to God. Verse 7, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, if you pray to God through Christ Jesus, so if you pray in Christ Jesus, God will provide supernatural peace, peace that transcends all understanding, peace that does not make sense. Peace that does not align with your circumstances. Maybe God doesn't change your circumstances, but somehow your heart is not at, uh, at unease because you're experiencing a supernatural peace. I wanted to share a real story of someone I watched going through hardship and still being able to experience some kind of peace. So this is kind of a personal illustration. I saw this with my friend Rachel. Uh, Rachel was a childhood friend, uh, and she died a year ago. 
uh, from cancer. Uh, and her death was a battle. It was uh, a long, ugly battle with cancer. There were many, many moments full of anxiety and stress. But at her funeral, I don't remember who shared it, but talked about how when she'd be overwhelmed, uh, when she began to focus on Christ, that's when the fear would go away. When she began to direct her heart and mind to the Lord, she would relax. She wouldn't be overwhelmed by fear. How is it that we can know the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, in moments that should be overwhelming? It's because we have a Father in heaven who hears us, who invites us to come and to talk to him and to lay our anxieties before him. We're all going to go through anxieties in this life. We have a solution. (laughs) His name is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God gives us himself to help us have peace. So number four, no matter your situation, pray and you will know peace. Keep praying. Number five, our mindset determines our peace, so think on good things. Paul gives us another command. He has a lot of commands today in verse eight. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, I thought about going through this list and defining each of these words, but we don't have all night. So essentially, we're supposed to focus on good things that honor God. Good things that honor God. Now, there are a lot of things in this world, (laughs) There are a lot of options, ways that we can think and focus and spend our time. And how do we determine, like, what is a good thing that can honor God and what's a bad thing that won't help? Like, should we spend all of our time, well, we could do this, should we spend all of our time only reading, like, Christian books, listening to Christian music, watching Christian TV shows and movies? Because we know, like, those things are good, so should I just focus on them? Sometimes we can read that into this passage by focusing on the adjectives here. The adjectives are true, noble, right, pure. But sometimes we miss the pronouns. Paul says one pronoun six times. It's the word whatever. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure. In other words, whatever is good in this world, whether it is explicitly Christian or not. Gordon Fee writes this. He says, It is decidedly not Paul's view that only what is explicitly Christian, be it literature, art, music, movies, or whatever, is worth seeing or hearing. Truth and beauty are where you find them, but at all times the gospel is the ultimate paradigm for what is true, noble, or admirable. This means that to experience peace, we don't have to shut ourselves away. We can go out into this world and we can enjoy the beauties of creation. We can enjoy art. We can enjoy movies and music and television shows and a good book. We can go to amusement parks and have fun time there. We can focus on these things that God has provided for us. 
And I wrestle with this, right? Because it's not always easy to, to, to just focus on what's pure. I was at my gym uh, this week, and a song came on. And I asked my coach, I'm like, what is this song? You're like, it's really catchy. Really, It was a beautiful song. Like the, the, the melody and the, the instruments. And I was listening to it, and I said, oh, this is like, I really, what did I say? I said something like, I like how this song sounds. And as I was saying this, I, I started listening to the words. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this isn't a great song like some of the words. It has a great melody and a great music, but then not such good words. And I didn't say out loud, oh, but I don't like these words. Maybe I should have. But we're going to always wrestle with this. And so if you're really wondering, well, what should we focus on? We can focus on the gospel. But, man, in a, in a world of sin, it is difficult to focus on things that are absolutely pure because there's only one person who's absolutely pure, and that's Christ Jesus. And so we can focus on him. But Paul is calling for us not just to focus on him. Actually, he's calling us to focus on whatever is good. In other words, I kind of think that the, the heart of what Paul is calling for right here is for us to intentionally focus on what is right in the world, for us to intentionally focus on what is good in the world. Now, I loved how Andy actually introduced the whole uh, service talking about the news. What, when you flip on the news, it's always like they lead with the worst headlines. And if you go to a, a news website, it's always like the most catchiest, terrible uh, headlines uh, in the news, like... Uh, uh, newest healthcare proposal in Washington will kill you. Or tax cuts for the rich only. Or New England power outage freezes pastor to death. These are all terrible, <laughs> these are all terrible headlines. <laughs> and so sometimes it's okay to turn off the news. It is okay to, to in fact, maybe to, Sometimes we need to turn off the television show so that we can clear our minds and begin to discern what is good and what is pure and whatever is right. So there's like this tension, isn't there? I, I don't have six steps for determining what exactly to enjoy. Because I think that might actually be different for some of us. So when you're wondering, take a moment and just read this verse and then Go back to what you're doing, whatever it is that's bringing you joy, and examine it and say, how does this line up with God's word? Number five, our mindset determines our peace, so think on good things. Think on Christ and the gospel. Those are always safe bets, but whatever is right, whatever is good. And number six, receive peace through obedience and imitation. Paul says in verse nine, he switches from thinking to doing. There's both a think and a do. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Paul gives us two things we can do here. Number one, we can obey God's word. Paul has said, do whatever I have taught you. In other words, do everything in this letter, the book of Philippians, this letter, do it all. But I think that's also encompassing of the rest of the New Testament, the other letters they would have been receiving at that time the Old Testament, the scriptures, obey God. And that's part of finding peace. And when we do those, we'll actually avoid the natural consequences of disobeying God. See, when I gossip or when I steal, like I can get found out or I can enter into conflict with someone about it, and that's a natural consequence that affects me. But if I was obeying God, I actually wouldn't be in those situations, would I? 
And so, obey God's word. <laughs> Number two, imitate mature believers. Paul says, what, do what you see, you've seen me do. For a sermon series on discipleship, we really haven't talked a lot about like one person doing one thing and another person following after that person, like imitation, modeling. And I want to focus on this for just a brief moment. God gives our church a variety of ages, from young to old. He gives us a variety of maturity levels in our church, from new believers to mature, long-time believers. We have people in this church that we can go to that are older than us, that are, that are more mature. And It's not just the elders or just the deacons. They're all over the place. You can ask them, like, I need some advice on this. Would you help shine a little light on this issue for me? And imitate them. Watch their lives. Ask for their opinions. Imitate, imitate mature believers. Verse 9 ends and says, and the God of peace will be with you. We, we obey because we want to experience God's presence. We want to root out the sin in our lives because we just want to experience God. We want to experience Christ. Number six, receive peace through obedience and imitation. Number seven, we can only receive real peace in Christ Jesus. I want to go back to verse three and then verse seven and highlight two little things. In verse three, Paul affirms that Yodia and Syntyche are saved. He says, help these women whose names are in the book of life. In order to have your name in the book of life, your name needs to be written in Christ. See, if you want to trade your conflict for peace, you need to know Jesus. And then in verse 7, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. How? In Christ Jesus. If you want to trade your anxiety for peace, you need to know Jesus. Now, why is this? Well, it's because we're all born into this world, and this world is a fallen place. All of humanity, since Adam, has been choosing to disobey God, to not trust God. And so, actually, we all start as enemies of God in this world from birth. And that's, that's a sad thing. But God provides a way of reconciliation with himself, a way of healing, a way of friendship, so you don't have to be at odds with God, and it's through Christ Jesus. If we confess our sins and put our faith in Christ, we become children of God. God adopts us, his enemies, he adopts into his family. We become friends of God, and that's how we can know true peace. See, we can experience sort of contrived peace in this life by different exercises or having good relationships, but at the end of the day, the relationship that creates peace that matters the most is our relationship with God. And as we experience peace up here, that allows for true peace out here. So if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you tonight. Tonight, begin that relationship. You can come talk to me after the service. I'd love to pray with you and talk to you, tell you about <laughs> the peace treaty, the peace treaty that we can all experience Number seven, we can only receive real peace in Christ Jesus. To sum up today's message, I have a kind of a brief big idea. It's that real peace in me and in us is found in Christ. So real peace that's in me, real peace that's in us, it's only found through Jesus. As Jesus saturates our lives. 
Peace is never just a me issue. Peace isn't even just an us issue. It's a us together with Christ issue. True peace, real peace in me and in us is found in Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. God, for those that are experiencing anxiety and peace tonight, maybe because they wore a tie, would you give them true peace through Christ? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.